It ain't cool being no jive turkey. So close to Thanksgiving. Yeah. One, two, three, and I come with the wicked. Like the tribe once said, can I kick it? Will the Fed stick it? Rally caught up in the thicket. Conviction harder to find than Taylor Swift tickets. Where are all the crypto bulls? All I hear is crickets. Where'd the charlatans go? They're over there, eating crow. Contagion spreading faster than Verstappen. Lights out. No one's laughing when the house of cards is crashing. The alarms are flashing. Tech companies slashing jobs quicker than flash mobs dashing into stores for Black Friday shopping. Credit card balances popping. Growth forecasts dropping. We got a lot on our plate in this season of thanks. We got to be bold like Simba, big like Hanks. Have a plan and stick to it in these times of unrest. Ride through the storm on the Investopedia Express. Welcome back and welcome aboard. The Investopedia Express is brought to you this week in partnership with Charles Schwab. Schwab is proud to support independent financial advisors in this episode of The Express. And we are delighted to have Schwab aboard as well. We love celebrating financial advisors at Investopedia and highlighting the great work they do in educating clients and their community each and every day. We're going to be hearing what's on advisors' minds and what their clients are asking them lately when we hear from several of them at the Schwab Impact Conference that took place recently in Denver. But first, let's dig in. November's burst of buying in the stock market slowed last week as all of the major averages posted losses, but nothing too dramatic. The Dow ended about 0.1% lower, basically flat. The S&P lost less than 1% for the week, while the Nasdaq ended 1.5% lower. All three indexes are still positive for the month and well off those October lows, but steeper inversions in the U.S. Treasury market are warning of tough times ahead. The full U.S. yield curve inverted last week with the one-month Treasury bill yield rising above the 30-year Treasury bond yield. The last two times that happened, happened August to September of 2019, which was followed by a recession beginning in March of 2020, and August 2006 to August 2007, which was followed by a recession that started in January 2008. Investors are looking for some solid footing and consistent messaging from the Federal Reserve as to the path of future rate hikes, and what we got last week from several Fed officials is that the path to the central bank's terminal rate remains pretty steep. St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard said Thursday that the policy rate is not yet in a zone that may be considered sufficiently restrictive. According to Bullard, the appropriate zone for the federal funds rate could be in the 5% to 7% range, which is higher than what the market is pricing. That's the first time we've heard that 7% number for the terminal rate from the Fed. And looking at Fed fund futures from the CME, traders did not have that higher range in their forecasts. The highest target range is between 5% and 5.25%, which traders expect to occur by May of 2023. That mismatch of expectations may have led to some of the selling we saw last week. Inflation's cooling, to be sure, but maybe not fast enough for the Fed, which doesn't want to be perceived as behind the curve yet again. And that leads us to our big three for the week. Number one. Charles Schwab is out with its latest trader sentiment survey for the fourth quarter, and there are more than a few signs of optimism in Traderland. Keep in mind, these are traders, not necessarily long-term investors. But since they're putting money to work more frequently than a lot of us, it's worth paying attention to how they feel. Some key takeaways from the survey, 68% say they are still bearish in the fourth quarter, but they still see opportunity in the energy and healthcare sectors, as well as value stocks. That jives with what we have been seeing in terms of market performance lately, and what we might expect given concerns about a recession. To wit, nearly all respondents feel an economic recession in the United States is at least somewhat likely, with many suggesting it will begin or has already begun in 2022. Rising interest rates, inflation, and political issues, both domestic and international, are their top concerns. 
which kind of sounds familiar. Those have been the dominant walls of worry in our reader sentiment surveys and just about everybody else's. Over half of those traders expect the Fed to increase interest rates by at least 50 basis points at the December meeting this year, while most respondents expect interest rates are unlikely to drop in 2023. Back to the point we made at the top of the show. Fed officials are insinuating that rates are headed higher for longer than Fed fund futures suggest, and that tug of war between hopes and expectations versus the realities of what it's going to take to bring down inflation down to the Fed's target rate of around 2%, that's the impasse we may be feeling in the U.S. equity market lately. Number two, while traders are worrying about inflation and rising rates according to the Schwab survey, fund managers are worrying about stagflation in 2023. That's according to Bank of America's latest fund manager survey. A record high, or 85% of survey respondents, see global inflation declining over the next 12 months, yet 92% expect a stagflation scenario where growth continues to slow while inflation remains above average. B of A survey also showed a majority of investors expect the Fed to stop hiking rates only when the personal consumption expenditures index, the central bank's preferred inflation measure, falls below 4%. The latest reading of the PCE for September was 5.1%, and those fund managers are the most net underweight tech stocks since August of 2006, while being overweight in energy for an 18th straight month. Growth sectors like tech are historically allergic to stagflation. They need economic growth and easy monetary policy to flourish. Going back to 1973, the areas of the capital markets that do well during periods of stagflation are commodities, so-called safe haven assets like gold and the US dollar, and REITs, real estate investment trusts. The weakest asset classes in times of stagflation, equities and US treasuries. And number three, even though the U.S. stock market has staged a pretty robust recovery in the past month, sentiment, like what we were just talking about among fund managers and traders, is still pretty sour. We see it in the surveys, we see it in the fund flows, but it's also glaringly obvious in the options market where bearish bets are building up fast. The CBOE put-to-call ratio, which is a measure of bearish bets on the future price direction of the stock market, known as puts, has hit its highest level ever in recent days. This is the exact opposite of what was happening during the meme stock madness in early 2021 when the put-to-call ratio was at its lowest levels on record and call options dominated the market. Retail options traders may have a lot to do with this as we discussed a couple episodes ago. More and more retail traders have turned to the options market, betting on very short-term moves in a single stock or index over a daily or weekly time frame. It's a fast but very risky way to make a few bucks on a trade if you are right, but why all the pessimism lately? A lot of it comes from the macroeconomic environment we're in and the Fed's rate hikes targeted at bringing down inflation. But it's still strange to see this much doubt expressed through the options market at the seasonally strongest time of the year for stocks. November to April is historically the strongest period for stocks, especially after midterm elections are in the rearview mirror. It's often darkest before the sun comes up, and sometimes indicators like the put-to-call ratio are contrarian indicators. When they reach extremes like they are now, it's often a catalyst for things to swing the other way. With so much uncertainty swirling in the wind right now, though, it's probably smart to just be aware of all these surveys and indicators, but fortify your own plan and hold on tight through the turns. Let's get set up for the week ahead, and it'll be a shortened trading week here in the U.S. with markets closed on Thursday for the Thanksgiving holiday and open until 2 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. And Friday is Black Friday, the official unofficial start to the holiday shopping season. But we know that started several weeks ago as retailers have been trying to pull forward their fourth quarter revenue in case consumers start to tighten up. 
Black Friday used to mean that it was the tipping point in the year where retailers' profits went into the black and their earnings really started kicking in. We heard from Walmart, Target, and others last week that this quarter, though, might be a little bit more subdued. Still, expect some markdowns on apparel, outdoor furniture, and even some electronics. This year, shoppers can expect discounts on smartphones and tech gadgets like Google's Pixel Series smartphones, watches, and earbuds, which are all being offered at steep discounts, along with a variety of Google Nest gadgets, including thermostats, doorbells, and security cameras. Apple is also offering significant deals on its iPhones, iPads, MacBooks, and AirPods as it tries to clear some inventory. Microsoft, for its part, is offering deals on game consoles, including the all-digital Xbox Series S, which you can see on its Microsoft Store. We'll see if that makes consumers feel any better when we get the University of Michigan's final release on consumer sentiment for November. The initial whiff of that a few weeks ago was pretty sour, the lowest actually we've seen since July. But then we got some signs that inflation was cooling with the CPI and PPI reports a couple weeks ago, but that's probably not likely enough to change our tune. On Wednesday, the U.S. Federal Reserve will release the meeting minutes for the Federal Open Market Committee's latest policy meeting conducted earlier this month when it raised rates by three quarters of a percent. That was the fourth such hike in a row in case you're not keeping score. We are. The Fed has raised the federal funds rate by a cumulative 375 basis points since March, with another 50 basis points increase likely in December. That would put the Fed funds rate in a range of four and a quarter to four and a half percent by year end, the highest level since 2007, just before the great financial crisis. The next FOMC meeting is December 13th and 14th, but on November 30th, Fed Chair Powell will deliver a speech at the Brookings Institute. Every little word matters these days, so circle that date. The last of the third quarter earnings reports will trickle in this week and will be tuned into what retailers like Best Buy and Dollar Tree have to say about spending and expectations. With 95% of companies reported so far, S&P 500 Q3 gap earnings are down 10% year over year. That's the second quarter in a row of negative year over year growth. And given recent guidance from companies, we should not be surprised to see negative year over year earnings growth again in the fourth quarter. This episode of The Express is presented once again in partnership with Charles Schwab. What makes independent advisors different? The promises they can make. They promise to put the financial well-being of you and your family first, to serve, not sell, to make your relationship with them one of partnership and trust, and to be a fiduciary all of the time, not just some of the time. And Charles Schwab is proud to support these independent financial advisors who are passionately dedicated to helping people achieve their goals. Learn more or locate an advisor near you at findyourindependentadvisor.com. And we are big believers and champions of financial advisors here at Investopedia. We celebrate the most influential financial advisors in the country every year through the Investopedia 100. That's our unique list of those independent advisors who spread financial literacy, education, and insights to their clients, their communities, and throughout the industry. And you are about to hear from several of them from Schwab's Impact Conference a few weeks ago. Our team interviewed several advisors and investing professionals about what their clients are asking them about these days, their biggest worries, and how they are generating returns or protecting their clients' returns in this challenging market plus their expectations for 2023. You're going to hear some common themes, inflation, the bear market, the mess and opportunities and fixed income and alternative assets. But the common denominator among all advisors and their clients is having a financial plan. I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about investing and personal finance, but I didn't know what I didn't know until I signed up with a financial advisor and it has been one of the smartest investments I've ever made. Here are some words of wisdom from some terrific financial advisors and planning professionals at the Schwab Impact Conference. James Demmer, managing partner and founder of Main Street Research, based in New York City, with offices also in San Francisco. 
most people are asking me, how long will this bear market last? We've been saying uh, for the last week or two that it's about two thirds over. Stock prices really haven't come down as far as they probably need to, given the Fed's aggressive rate hikes and their adamancy about putting inflation back in the barn. It's going to be more tightening and the equity market's just not ready for it, but it's getting there. All of our clients, they share one thing in common. We're managing the bulk of their liquid net worth. And most of them are worried, hey, I want to make sure this money lasts the rest of my life. And then there's the other lucky half that say, hey, I want it to last my life, but the next generation. We also manage money for foundations and nonprofits, and they need it to last generations. So these kinds of difficult markets can make people concerned about the valuation of their portfolio, which is why it's so important to manage the downside risk as we go through these. It's the first year that we've really seen fixed income, if you own a bond fund, for instance, fall pretty dramatically, almost more than stocks in an average year. So the 60-40 portfolio conventionally done has not worked out. For our firm, we use individual securities, so we use individual bonds, so we really haven't had the downside that the bond funds have certainly experienced. And we think that the 60-40 portfolio is alive and well, even though conventional wisdom says it isn't based on you know recent performance. In a market recovery, an economic recovery, which we expect in 2023, this is a great opportunity for investors to lock in those 4% yields on two to 10-year treasuries or any other individual bond, a corporate or a muni, that'll make a great complement over the next five years, if you go out five years or even 10 in maturity. You do that on the bond side here, uh, that'll complement the great equity recovery that we're gonna see in 2023. So 6040 is gonna be alive and well as we get past this bear market. Protecting portfolios is probably, in my opinion, the, the way that advisors can add value. Bull markets are easy, we all know that. It's the bear markets that are difficult, And I would suggest three things that all investors should do in these kinds of markets. And it's still not too late. And one is stop setting and forgetting the portfolio at 60-40 or 70-30. When it starts to look ugly, for instance, this year where the Fed is going to get aggressive, uh, which is not good for the economy, be willing to reduce your stock exposure. That's the number one way to manage risk. Uh, It doesn't have to go from 70% to zero but anything less than normal is is really prudent in this kind of market, and that's kind of how we look at it. The second thing is, if you have to have stock exposure, be selective about it. We all know when the Fed raises rates, the economy contracts. Pick sectors of the market that tend to do well in that. Healthcare is a good example. People always getting ill, and we have healthcare goods to to, to help them. Consumer staples like Procter & Gamble, they sell Tide detergent and Crest toothpaste. We're going to continue to use those. And utility companies. Uh, So rotating to the sectors that are defensive, having less stock in general. And the last thing that we do that's very unique is we use very carefully placed stop loss orders. Uh, So when markets get like this, back in February, March, some stocks just get sold by the stop loss which in hindsight was, uh, was a very helpful tool for us as we go through the year. All those three things really help. We call it active risk management, but it helps mitigate that risk. Helen Stevens, Aspen Wealth Management in Fort Worth, Texas. I think the top worry is the possible length and severity of our current bear market and how that's going to impact their retirement spending for those that are retired. 
and inflation and how persistent it's going to be and how long it's going to last. Well, we haven't abandoned our traditional strategies as we feel like there's a lot of value to be found there. Short duration fixed income has certainly provided a lot of portfolio protection, but we have allocated more toward private credit and private real estate as good diversifiers for our portfolio. It's not like they're completely protected from market decline, but there's just a considerable time lag until it starts to show. Certainly tax loss harvesting has been a busy task for us this year in this down market, accelerating Roth conversions, and that has provided sources we think of Advisor Alpha. Well, first of all, continuing to focus on what we can control, not what we can't control. Financial plan reviews have been more impactful for our clients than portfolio reviews. They just want to make sure that they have the peace of mind of knowing that everything is going to be okay. Clients overall know the short-term noise and markets will subside, and overall, they're, they're more interested in how their portfolio affects the future in context with the changes in their lifestyle expenses and their savings and how long they plan to keep working. So we're really focused right now on the financial plan and, and not so much the, the portfolio review because everybody has a plan and that plan is determined how they're allocated in their portfolio. My name is Rob Santos. I'm the CEO of Airroot Family Office. We're based in Los Angeles, but we have offices in Virginia, Michigan, and Northern California as well. A lot of our clients are prepared for market fluctuations like this. I'd say the harder situations are the newer clients. So folks that just had cash and were just starting to invest into the market this year, I think the concerns are higher for them because they didn't re realize that some of these fluctuations would have come so quickly. I think the top worries has to be, can they afford to achieve their goals? Are they doing, making the right decisions with their money, for their family, for their future? So I think those questions are top of mind. And when they read headlines and they see what's going on in the market right now, they're human. So fear becomes a big factor. And I'm sure a lot of advisors that you're interviewing at this conference, a big part of what our work is, is actually more counseling and psychological than it is actually financial. And so it's great from our perspective because these are the tools that we think we have the best handle on and we get to deploy in situations like this. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do to be creative is we do use some alternatives. We have started to implement some annuity products, if that makes sense for some people. Cash is king this year. It's the best performing asset class. So there are actually higher yielding savings accounts and CDs that are now starting to provide some retirees some income, albeit inflation is eating away at their purchasing power, but for peace of mind, it's a solution for them. So you have to be really nimble. And I don't think anybody can put a cookie cutter model across all aspects of clients in this market. It just doesn't work. We had a number of clients that had tens of millions of dollars of crypto. And we talked to them over a number of periods of time about diversifying, you know, protecting and to varying degrees of success. We had some folks that just die hard, will hold these till forever for their beliefs. And then we've had others that did make some of those decisions and we could do some creative things around hedging around those crypto positions, which were traditional finance tools that we're implementing into a new crypto world, yeah. selling calls, buying puts, to be able to protect them for this winter. So. We try to add value where we can and where it's and where it's feasible, but there has to be receptiveness on the other side from the client. I'm Peter Lazaroff. 
I work for PlaneCorp, which is based in St. Louis, and I'm the chief investment officer there. I think the one thing that is coming up most frequently is how long is this bear market going to last and are things going to get worse? To which I usually respond just with a simple look at history and averages. So the average bear market downturn when there's a recession attached, and I'm going to go ahead and make the leap that we are going to have a recession or deem that we are currently in one or it's about to come. And so when you look at those downturns, they take about 18 months on average to bottom out and the decline averages a decline of 33%. So for conversation's sake, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it's a nice place to anchor expectations. So as of this recording, we're about 10 months in. So if I'm speaking to a client, I say, well, maybe we have another eight months, another 12 months. I certainly, from a personal standpoint, think that we will eclipse that down 30% from the peak. And I let clients know that, but I also let them know that that does not change the way that I'm going to be investing their portfolio. Because we have built the portfolio based on a financial plan that takes into account downturns occurring with a similar magnitude and frequency as they have in the past. And thus far, there's really nothing unusual strictly from a downturn data standpoint on this particular bear market. I do think that people who are nearing retirement are very worried. They're worried about inflation. They're worried about when the bear market is going to turn. And they're worried if their plan to retire, particularly if it was in the next one or two years, is really sound. So that group specifically, I think rightfully so, is a little bit more nervous good financial planning if you have been doing it for a while. Again, you should have things in place that allows you to maintain your financial plan despite the economy. For people below the age of 50, I would say that a bigger concern is inflation in general. And for people who are looking to upgrade the size of their house or who are trying to sort out whether or not they can do an addition to their house, that's been a big talking point. For people with executive compensation like stock options, most of those options are underwater. So that's another big talking point for the people kind of in their 30s, 40s, 50s that we seem to be addressing a lot these days. Even if you know what events are going to occur, you don't always know how markets are going to interpret that. And here's a really important stat is that if you go look at the last 20 years of returns, 50% of the best days in the S&P 500 happened during bear markets. Another 34% of the best days happened in the first two months after a bear market. So you have to stay invested because you aren't going to know when it's going to end. And if you wait until the all clear bell is rung, you've probably already missed out. So I think that's really the core message that we're trying to communicate to clients right now. I believe that a one-size-fits-all portfolio is dead. And I think we are now at an age of customization, whether you are 60% stocks or not. The amount of customization that we can do as advisors due to technology, due to product offerings, and due to some better processes and learned experiences, I would say that you usually can point a client to the levels of customization. And yes, this bad period happened. Again, we planned for these bad periods. And now, few forward-going returns are going to be better. Valuations are lower, yields are higher, and the building block of all returns is the risk-free rate. And finally, we have something on the risk-free rate that is resembling a return. Granted, it's a negative real return when you look at inflation, but I think it's reasonable to assume that sometime in the next 12 months that inflation dips more closer into that 4 or 5% range, even if it doesn't settle back below 3%. Most of our client base remembers an era where inflation was between 3 and 5% for most of the time. So this last 20 years being a much bigger outlier, I think if we start seeing prices go up by 3%, it will feel perfectly fine to everybody. Going into 2023, a lot of what I want clients to understand is that the current starting point where we are in the market 
it's not so much risky as it is annoying and really just kind of attach, you know, attach a human side to this. Nobody likes bear markets. We know it's a part of it. We've coached our clients to expect them, but the big part of the drop, the big part of the risk has already happened. And that's not to say we couldn't fall further. I, as you heard earlier, think we will fall a little bit further, but as long as you think that three years from now, stocks will be higher, or even one year or two years from now, they'll be higher. A lot of the risk is erased. The biggest risk is that you behave poorly. And if you are willing to live through all this, then it stops becoming risky and is simply more of a nuisance. It's a little more annoying is how I'd characterize this bear market now. And so I think that's the theme early in 2023, as silly as it sounds that we want to carry forward to clients. Bear markets are bummers and we knew they were going to happen and we don't like them. And we are going to be here to make sure that you don't make a mistake because the choices you make in a bear market can define your ultimate investment success. So we want to make sure that everybody behaves, keeps their hands on the wheel and their eyes on the prize. My name is Brian Vendig. My firm is MJ. AP Wealth Advisors. We're located in Connecticut with offices in Farmington and Westport. So I think everyone just has a little bit of a heightened anxiety for some of these unknowns. And we're trying to relate things back strategically to what is someone's investment management program or process and how does that relate back to their strategic intent as part of their life cycle goals. Fortunately, with a majority of our clients, we've put together a sound wealth plan that takes into account that there's going to be volatility. Markets don't always go up every single year. So I think we've put some measures in place that have helped people get through this noise, so to speak. But I think it's just like anything, you know, now that we get information so quickly, I think the style and the behaviors of investors have changed where they've seen markets go down very quickly, like in March of 2020, and then bounce back very quickly as well. Unfortunately, being in a bear market, it's a little bit more of an elongated path and investors don't have uh, the same type of mindset you know, now that they might have had in, you know, previously based on age or based on where they are. So we've been um, very focused on real asset, real infrastructure type of investments. So for a while, actually, we jumped on the bandwagon of renewable energy infrastructure investments well before the Inflation Reduction Act was passed this year. That has, has shown to be a good alternative for fixed income. We've also been invested very heavily in private equity real estate, which has had favorable returns coming out of 2020 and also creates a lot of tax advantageous income going back to a client. But again, we also are still focusing on hedge funds that do really show that they can minimize volatility and put us some numbers in light of a, a market being significantly down. And I think also at the same point in time, we're trying to educate our clients about other asset classes because we get the questions about digital assets, cryptocurrency. So we're able to kind of speak to that. But again, you know, that's a, obviously a more speculative investment and that's a case by case basis. Sure. So we have been uh, very active in our investment portfolios. So one thing that we've been preparing for and thinking about the market moving forward is just staying cognizant on risk. And relating that back to our, to our clients' needs. We're also thinking about any upcoming tax law changes, anything that might come out of midterm elections from a planning point of view, and also knowing that there's certain laws that are on the books right now, which are going to sunset in 2025, 2026, whether that's opportunity zone funds, whether that's estate planning topics. And I think at the end of the day, it's just trying to be proactive to keep people informed of you know, what's coming down the road, measuring it back to how they're managing their household, what's going on at work, are they meeting their living expense needs? And I think it's just an ongoing 
process of assessments. Malcolm Etheridge, financial advisor out of DC um, with CIC Wealth Management. We've got a couple of offices between uh, Baltimore and Rockville, Maryland. And I am Malcolm on Money across all social medias. And I also am the host of the Tech Money Podcast. Instead of asking, what do we do, what do we do? I've noticed clients, especially our longer standing clients are asking, is there something we should be doing this time, which is a unique way of asking, is this time any different? And I think that's the really cool nuance that I've noticed with clients from 2020, March 2020, when the pandemic first came on to even now where the market seems to be working against us and has been for the majority of this year, where we can't run to fixed income for safety the way we used to be able to, or at least in this particular market cycle, we haven't been able to. And so looking at bonds and saying that's the safety net, that's the place where we at least expect asset preservation, that's gone, at least in this moment. And so we're having to be very creative about finding bond surrogates and things like that to shelter the clients from the storm. One of the things we've been focused on for 2023 is dissecting the portfolio to find out how much concentration we have in mega cap tech and making sure the clients are aware of the top 10 holdings in their portfolio. So a lot of what we do is a blend between ETFs and mutual funds. And as I'm sure you guys know, there's a lot of intersection in those funds where every fund manager owns Apple because if you want to beat the index, you got to own Apple. Apple is the index. Or if you want to beat the index, you got to own Tesla or Amazon or whatever. And so making sure that as this rotation potentially to value and this rotation to small caps or whatever else we see coming is happening, that we're not over indexed to the mega cap tech trade that got us here for clients who are a little bit more conservative, maybe conservative to moderate, where they need to be more diversified and more balanced in their equity exposure just in case that tech trade goes away and doesn't rebound with the rest of the market the way it has for the last decade or so. It's terminology time, time for educated investors like us to smarten up for the week. And sadly, this week's term comes to us from Target and other retailers because the term of the week is organized retail crime. Last week, Target executives said on the company's earnings call that inventory shrinkage or the disappearance of merchandise due to organized retail crime has reduced its gross profit margin by $400 million so far in 2022 compared to last year. Organized retail crime is not new per se, but it's gotten a lot worse in the past couple of years, according to the National Retail Federation. But what is it exactly? According to the NRF, organized retail crime is the large-scale theft of retail merchandise with the intent to resell the items for financial gain. Organized retail crime typically involves a criminal enterprise employing a group of individuals who steal large quantities of merchandise from a number of stores and a fencing operation that converts the stolen goods into cash. Stolen items can be sold through online auction sites, at flea markets, and even to other retailers. In addition to targeting other stores, organized retail crime gangs engage in cargo theft activities. According to the National Retail Federation's National Retail Security Survey, organized retail crime reached $94.5 billion in 2021, up from $90.8 billion in 2020. The report also found that retailers saw an average 26.5% increase in organized retail crime incidents between 2021 
and 2020, and they also reported an increase in violence and aggression associated with these types of crimes. We've seen the videos on social media, and they are terrifying. But this is the new reality for retailers who are facing all kinds of other challenges, including inflation and more online competition. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, among other organizations, is pushing for tougher laws to combat organized retail crime because, believe it or not, there aren't that many on the books. So for now, retailers have to consider organized retail crime as just another cost of doing business. We're going to let Dan Rather take us out this week. The former anchor and managing editor of the CBS Evening News had a way with words, and these are the words he used to describe the massive sell-off in the stock market on Black Friday, October 19th, 1987. Good evening. This is the CBS Evening News. Dan Rather reporting. The extraordinary, if restrained, action taken in the Persian Gulf early this morning was overshadowed through the day by scenes such as Wall Street has never witnessed, as the Dow Jones Industrials took off on a fear-fed freefall to close down a record 508.32 points. Panic traders worked through lunch hours in a desperate but losing attempt to keep up with tickers that rolled up an all-time high volume. A fear-fed freefall. I thought I had a way with words, but I got nothing on Big Dan. Thanks for joining us this week, as always, and special thanks to Schwab for partnering with us on this episode of The Express. We're going to link to Schwab's latest trader survey in the show notes, as well as all the reports we cited on The Express today. Whether you celebrate Thanksgiving or not, we are thankful for you for listening and sharing the Investopedia Express. We never take our listeners and our readers for granted, but we probably don't thank you enough, so thank you. And wherever this train takes you this week, may you go in gratitude. And we'll talk again a little further on down the line.